Hello and welcome to Eat This Podcast with me, Jeremy Charthus. Last summer, at the Food and Communication Conference in Edinburgh, I met an Italian scholar who's been studying the history of our relationship with meat. He sees the importance of meat in packaging for vegetarians. Very often they are called vegetarian hamburger or meatless chicken legs. So uh, this demonstrates the importance of meat in our general mindset. So we need this idea of meat. We are not ready for a meatless diet, at least in the language we use. I'm Francesco Buscemi. I teach media studies in Italy at the Catholic University of Milan and at the University of Insubria in Como. And my research is on uh, uh, food and the media, and also in uh, cultural history of food, especially meat. My last book is uh, From Body Fuel to Universal Poison, Cultural History of Meat from 1900 to the Present. And a fascinating book it is too, which is why a couple of weeks ago I took myself off to Milan to talk to Francesco Buscemi, starting with the modern meanings of the word vegetarian. The the word vegetarian is one of the more flexible words in our dictionary, because if you ask 30 people what vegetarianism is, probably you will receive 30 different answers about this. So there are people eating uh, chicken, for example, saying, I'm vegetarian. There is uh, a really flexible approach. The general feeling is uh, eating meat is not like eating broccoli. Well, leaving aside the question that plenty of people avoid broccoli as keenly as others avoid meat, that's a feeling that goes back to the ancient Greek philosophers. Plato thought that the perfect city should be vegetarian. His pupil Aristotle was perfectly okay with eating meat. And down the ages, there's been a ding-dong over meat. Some people argue that meat-eating is natural for humans. Indeed, that it's a right, given our supposed superiority to other animals. And other people say that animals suffer, and that's enough to make it morally wrong for us to eat them. Another strand just believes that meat is bad for us, and that's why we shouldn't eat it. But I didn't go to Milan to argue the pros and cons of meat with Francesco Buscemi. Rather, I wanted to talk to him about why exactly meat has this central role in discussions of a quote-unquote good diet. Because meat is an item of food uh, so different from the others, because you eat an animal, I think this problem of eating an animal, a living, an ex-living being, uh, was in the center of this philosophical debate. And where did they distinguish animals? Because very often in popular culture, a bird is not an animal, a fish is not an animal. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are really interesting theories about this. For example, uh, consider eating horses in uh, Britain or in Sicily. There are different, two different kinds of uh, activities because uh, uh, eating horses in Britain is a kind of sin. You can't. And uh, when uh, recently 
some uh, researchers discovered that uh, there was uh, horse meat in uh, apparently <laughs> beef uh, cans. Uh, there was a big scandal because eating horses is considered different from eating uh, pigs or cows and so on. Why, for example, in Sicily, I, I was born in Sicily, in Sicily there are many, many restaurants uh, over to serving uh, horse meat and uh, going in the evening to me to eat uh, horse meat is a really uh, social activity in Sicily. So many young people uh, in the evening go to these restaurants and they like horse meat. So it's not a scandal. But... So this is linked to cultural beliefs. If you consider a horse uh, different from the other animals, you have problems in eating horse meat. Uh, I remember in Sterling in, in Scotland where I there were many, many rabbits going around and entering the gardens and sometimes uh, houses in uh, in Sterling. And no restaurant in Sterling served rabbit meat. Because <laughs> rabbits were part of uh, everyday life and so it was impossible for the people uh, to eat this kind of meat. And uh, also supermarkets. Pesco uh, serves rabbit meat in every uh, corner of Britain, but not around Sterling. Because uh, I interviewed the manager of the Pesco shop in, in Sterling, and he told me, we tried, but people uh, didn't buy this kind of meat. So there's a cultural overlay of what is an animal fit to be eaten, even when yeah. you say, yeah, fine, you can eat meat, yeah. but some, some meat you cannot eat. Yeah, 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 we consider animals in different ways, uh, depending on the relationship we have with these animals. More generally, when we talk about the standard meat, for pigs and cattle and sheep and what have you, what do you think triggered the the modern idea that it was not a good thing for the animals. I mean, there's a sort of philosophical thing which mm. is about, you know, is it right? But, but there's a, at the moment, the feeling is not so much is it right or wrong, or behind the is it right or wrong is very much this idea of, of suffering, of, of, you know, a lot of people, me, I'll eat meat if I think the animal had a good life. When do you think that sort of started? In the 1950s and in the 1960s, producing uh, meat uh, changed, strongly changed, because the, the production process uh, relating to meat uh, became industrialized and mechanized. Uh, and in the same years, the hippie movement started criticizing this kind of uh, industrial production. Uh, so, on the one hand, uh, the mass uh, production of meat uh, corresponded to a mass uh, consumption of meat. So, meat, thanks to the supermarkets, the new ways of uh, selling food, uh, eating meat became a mass activity. Many, many people, uh, because the industrialized process also made it uh, much more affordable. 
but in the same years, the hippie movements started to ask some questions. Uh, they were uh, they were concerned with uh, environmental problems. The process became much more popular, but also much more criticized. One of the things that has clearly happened is that a hundred years ago, maybe, you would go to the butcher and maybe there would be a whole animal there that would be cut up into pieces for you. And today, you go to the supermarket and you buy your meat in a little plastic tray, or maybe you even buy it already cooked and you just heat it up when you get home. When you, when you think about the change from ha the butcher having an animal in the butcher's shop to the supermarket having meat in a prepared dish, do you think that has distanced us from... from so this is uh, exactly the problem, because we are dividing the image of the animal from the image of the steak. Uh, while in the past, uh, the two images somehow uh, intertwined, since the beginning of the 1950s, uh, the two images somehow have split. This happened uh, at different levels. Uh, first of all, in the production process, so uh, consider the slaughterhouses. Uh, in the past, slaughterhouses were in the city centers. In Rome or in Milan, they were in really uh, crowded places. And all the people knew where the, the slaughterhouses was. Uh, it was a kind of social and institutional place. Uh, but uh, uh, since the 1950s, things have changed. Uh, for healthy reasons, but also for cultural reasons. So, uh, seeing animals enter the slaughterhouse and not <laughs> getting out of it was a kind of, uh, uh, can I say, dirty vision for our new culture, new perspective of me. Uh, so, slaughterhouses were positioned in the no places, in the places out of the cities. And today, if you ask people where is the, the slaughterhouse in, the, in this city, they don't know, because they are in really hidden places. So this happened at first with slaughterhouses, but after it, this also happened in the butcher shops. I remember in the 1970s, uh, the old, the old uh, butcher shop. I entered with my parents in these uh, shops and there were many, many dead animals hanging and bleeding <laughs> on the floor. Uh, it was not a problem. It was a, a, an upside of the shop uh, because this meant that uh, meat was fresh, was authentic, was uh, good. But after this, from the 1970s, especially in, uh, in Italy, but probably in the United States and Britain, this happened before, uh, uh, butcher shops uh, changed because uh, uh, showing uh, carcasses of animals was not considered uh, 
a good uh, advertisement <laughs> for your job anymore. It's interesting because, um, I mean, there's so many things caught up in this, like transport of animals mm. instead of transport of meat, living animals instead of dead, etc. Uh, one, of, one of the crucial events, I think, was the publication in, I think, 1910, 19, something like that, the publication of Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle, where he went undercover into a slaughterhouse. First, two questions. Why did he do that? And second of all, what was the, what was the effect of that? Uh, Upton Sinclair uh, decided to write this book uh, about the meat market in Chicago um, because he wanted to attack capitalism. Uh, so, in the book, this is quite present, but while he uh, carried out this uh, uh, journalistic investigation, he also found a lot of uh, other things. The, the bad condition of workers, and uh, he, he also found that uh, uh, people working in this kind of uh, plants, uh, industrial plants, actually uh, lived in the same conditions as the animals. So, workers are like animals. I think an interesting point that comes out of the Upton Sinclair is that we treat people bad. The, the slaughterhouse treats the people badly, and the industrial meat production treats the animals badly. And I wonder if there's any special characteristic of meat, because we are meat too. Yeah, 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 yeah. We could <laughs> become me too. <laughs> and in the book, this is uh, quite evident in the scene which the worker uh, loses his, his finger and his finger becomes me. So there is a kind of uh, equal condition between uh, animals and workers. Uh, so what uh, should have been a theoretical uh, attack to uh, capitalism became a really concrete uh, demonstration of how the conditions of the workers was quite similar to the condition of the animals. We have to come to the, the sort of the big political question. Um, very often in a discussion of vegetarianism, somebody will say, "Ah, Hitler was a vegetarian." <laughs> Is there a political angle to to vegetarianism? Yeah, yeah, there is a huge <laughs> political angle. I'm investigating two kinds of propaganda uh, in Italy and in Germany, the Nazi propaganda and the fascist propaganda in Italy, and also the propaganda in Fiume, which was an Italian regency, a kind of anticipation of fascism, which is really, really interesting. In, in all these propagandas, uh, vegetarianism was a, a kind of weapon uh, to say we are vegetarians, so we are pure, while people eating meat are somehow impure. In the Nazi case, this served the purpose of attacking the Jews, uh, their way of slaughtering animals, for example, of uh, uh, making animals suffer. But in the other cases, it was a, a, a theoretical way of distinguishing us from them. Uh, so, for example, in Fiume, 
there was a, this kind of ascetic uh, ideal of uh, pursuing something uh, superior, something beyond what we see. And vegetarianism was considered fundamental in this. So, uh, these men uh, used to uh, live together in the countryside, far from uh, the cities and everyday problems, uh, stop eating meat and trying to uh, reach this superior level of uh, knowledge, of uh, uh, living. So, in this case, vegetarianism was a, a, a really interesting way uh, of uh, pursuing purity. It, it seems to me that there's always been a link between meat and violence, because, you know, men eat red meat and then they go out and kill people. Um, how did they deal with that? Yes, but these are social constructions. We can associate uh, uh, eating meat or vegetarianism to what we <laughs> we want. Um, social constructions teach us that we are, we are totally free to decide uh, what things mean. So, sometimes uh, uh, meat-eating uh, may mean violence, but in other cases it's uh, uh, vegetarianism which is associated with uh, violent movement such as Nazism or Fascism. Uh, Hitler's vegetarianism was probably a, a, an example of this kind of uh, social and political construction. A way of saying I'm more pure than you. And uh, it's really interesting, the animal protection law that the Nazism uh, created Still today, we can say that the, the Nazi law was better than, for example, the Californian law, uh, which is one of the more advanced. But this was another way of saying uh, we are close to nature, to the animals, to so we can uh, consider ourselves somehow more poor than the others. But did it extend to, to feeding the soldiers a vegetarian diet? In Germany there were this kind of uh, uh, spiritual movements uh, asking for a vegetarian diet. Uh, during the war uh, the presence of vegetarian soldiers were acknowledged by the institutions and uh, there also were some vegetarian diets for soldiers who requested it. Because in, in the United States, and I think in, in the UK as well, um, people were encouraged to eat less meat in the house in order to have more meat for the soldiers. Yeah, this is linked to the idea of meat as a form of energy. Uh, so, during the war, soldiers needed much more energy than ordinary people. So, the institutions asked the people uh, to consume less meat in order to give this meat uh, more to the soldiers. This is also the reason why I'm asking if energy is changing all over the world, the way we produce energy and we consume energy is changing. So why should meat remain as it has always been? 
this is why I'm looking at these new forms of meat, such as cultured meat or uh, plant-based meat, uh, because uh, they are a kind of uh, renewable form of meat. Well, that's exactly where I wanted to go next, because one of the, the big attack on meat now is is not about human health, but it is a little bit. It's not about animal welfare, but it is a little bit. It's about the health of the planet and how the only way we can do climate change is to stop eating meat. How do you feel about that? This is probably an exaggeration. There are many, many human activities uh, which damage uh, the, the, the planet. But certainly meat uh, is one of the uh, old uh, ways of uh, producing things which is behind the others. So while, while uh, many other activities are changing, uh, meat uh, lags behind uh, and uh, these new forms of meat, uh, cultured meat uh, and so on, uh, probably uh, can show us a new way of uh, producing this item of food. But it's, it's interesting because people talk about plant-based meat. All meat is plant-based. <laughs> people cannot eat grass, but, yeah. but cows can eat grass. We don't feed them grass, but that's another question. Yes, but this is uh, renewable. So you don't need to kill animals to produce meat. So this is the difference. Uh, it's being renewable. Like wind energy, solar energy. And it's interesting that uh, Winston Churchill, <laughs> uh, many, many years ago, somehow uh, foresaw this new kind of production. And he saw why to grow uh, an entire chicken to eat uh, its uh, legs or wings. What always strikes me when I do this kind of conversation is how much change we're just unaware of. We're not, we, because it happens relatively slowly from our perspective, but quite quickly in historical terms or in social cultural terms. We're just not aware that, you know, I've, I've never, I've never seen a slaughterhouse in the middle of a city. I, I've seen butchers with meat, but I've never seen a slaughterhouse. Where do you see us in 20 years' time? How do you see the, the human relationship with meat in 20 years' time? Uh, scientists uh, researching on cultural meat say that in, within uh, 20 or 30 years, uh, this new kind of meat will be on the shelves of the supermarkets. I don't know if this is true, but certainly I can see young people uh, being concerned with eating meat much more than the, the past generations. So I can remember my grandmother, uh, she had no problem with eating meat. She didn't ask questions, didn't consider it uh, a different activity in comparison to eating broccoli. While my parents were more concerned with this uh, uh, consumption, meat consumption. Uh, my father had some uh, vegetarian friends, and my friends are 
even more concerned. And now I can see young people, my students, really interested in this uh, problem. Eating meat, is eating meat uh, right? Activity is the right uh, food habit or not? Do animals suffer? So these kind of questions are growing up, are increasing. And social and historical processes are really slow. So uh, within one generation we cannot see the end of the process. But we can see the, the, the gradual process, the gradual growing of the process. So probably other generations will see big differences. But we can see that today we are thinking about this. And this is socially relevant. I think we have Buddhist monks to thank for the idea, mostly, mostly for the idea of fake meat, of, of plant products made to be really very like meat. To me, this idea, along with fake bacon, and and in the olden days, nut roasts and things like this again tells us that meat is really somehow very central because cultures that are totally vegetarian. I mean, I'm thinking of some South Asian cultures. Um, they don't they don't copy meat. They, you know, they 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 are not worried about not having something called meat in their diet. They just eat vegetables. Yes, but industry needs to conquer new markets. So probably uh, people who are already vegetarians don't have any problem in uh, uh, eating uh, soya beans. Or, but people who are thinking about uh, becoming vegetarians, uh, they are still a kind of need for this, uh, at least at the level of language. And speaking of language, Francesco calls himself a reducitarian, only eating meat once or twice a month. I'm sort of the same, although I haven't signed the pledge. Maybe I'm a more mindless flexitarian. Who knows? I'll put a link to Francesco Buscemi's book on meat in the show notes at eatthispodcast.com and also links to some of the other things we talked about but that we didn't go into in any great detail. A quick reminder, if you subscribe to the newsletter, I've recently switched to a new email manager. So if you've missed an issue, please take a look in your spam folder and give me the thumbs up. And if you aren't already a subscriber, well, why not? Go to eatthispodcast.com slash subscribe and fill in the form. That's all for now. If you do subscribe, you'll get a copy of Eat This Newsletter next week, and I'll be back with another show in a couple of weeks' time. Till then, goodbye and thanks for listening.